Hello and welcome to A Day in the Life. I'm your host, Darren Bloomfield. Joining me is Zach Finn. Hello, Finn. Thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. So let's dive into your current day-to-day and how you got here. Uh, personally, I know you from your time at Paul University, uh, being a professor and, and growing that program and Gamma Out of Sigma involvement. Uh, but you had a career before that, before academia, and now you have a career after academia. So quite exciting. Uh, last time we talked, you were going to California on a train for a, a little trip before starting your work. So I think that was great. And now you're getting settled into your new position. So yeah. the floor is yours. Yeah, no, I, uh, um, so I work for the Henriot Group, which is actually um, a company I worked for very early in my career. So as you mentioned, I, I graduated with an insurance and risk degree from Indiana State. Um, I started in corporate risk management in the risk department at, at the National Cash Register Company in Dayton, Ohio, um, and was there and enjoyed it quite a bit. I was recruited to a dot-com out in San Diego to be their risk manager, and uh, they actually got embroiled in some of the same accounting troubles that Enron had. In fact, they had the same auditors and maybe even the same tax plan, but the bottom line was I think everybody but my boss went to jail or was indicted, and um, as I was leaving that job, I didn't really care for California. I, I really decided I was a Midwest guy. Um, I came back to Indiana and I started to work for a company called the Henriot Group as their in-house risk manager for their top accounts. And Henriot today and back then is a great uh, commercial property casualty employee benefits insurance agency. We do personal lines, but predominantly commercial lines. And, and as I said, employee benefits. Um, we, we service really the, the sweet spot uh, that represents kind of the backbone of Indiana's economy. So, you know, privately held, closely held businesses, middle market companies. Um, and, and, you know, for me early in my career, I'm basically almost doing the same job I did uh, early on, except with more experience. And that's really why I left Henriot. And, you know, way back in the day, I went to Gary Henriot at the time, the, who's, you know, since uh, uh, perpetuated the agency to his daughter, Kelly, and some of the rest of us. But, you know, I told Gary, I love the job. I love working for you. I love seeing risk management across a number of different industries, but I don't feel like I know enough to do the job well. I want to go out and I still wanted to be a Fortune 500 risk manager. So I, you know, I said, hey, let me get some experience and I'll come back later in my career and we'll, we'll do it again. And of course, at the time, he probably had the opinion like, ah, whatever, kid, see you later. Don't let the door hit you. Um, but true to my word, here I am. I mean, I, I went out and Worked in the risk management department at Hill Rom and Hillenbrand, um, which was this kind of the same company at the time, different entities, with a huge captive. That's where I got my master's degree, working on a captive in school, which kind of formed the genesis for the student-run captive we did at Butler. Um, was the risk manager at Smucker, and then, as you know, did my ten years at Butler, helping to establish that academic program and. You know, for me, we the goal was to set up a top 10 program that could compete against some of the best in the nation and, and kind of put our own mark on things with our student run captive. And, um, you know, once we kind of achieved those things it, it, in 10 years, a long time for me to do anything. I found I'm kind of an entrepreneur. I really like building the Davy program. Um, and maybe folks like Dr. Player are better at running a mature program. And, and for me, it was more exciting to get back out into industry just because of so many things that happened with the pandemic and technology and um, lots of things I'm sure we'll talk about, but that's what kind of got me back to Henry out today. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's really interesting and just kind of full, full circle for you, not only just kind of knowing, you know, yourself, knowing you're more of that entrepreneurial spirit, uh, spirit, but then also just kind of like that story really showcases like the value of continuous networking and really not burning a bridge over more than a 10 year period and coming back to the, the same company. So what was kind of that decision of 
uh, Henriette Group, the hometown kind of local agency going back uh, to like the retailer side versus like uh, going to like a national uh, agency, maybe like a, a bigger name, bigger, bigger, more, more well-known. Yeah. And it was really interesting because, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, buy low and sell high. So I remember I got the faculty all-star award in 2019 and I was on the basketball court getting the intro and, um, and I looked at my son and I said, I think this is it for Butler. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, I was kind of like Seinfeld. I want to leave at the highest possible point I can so that there's nothing but great things that can be said about what we've done. And, you know, I, I really have the pick of the litter as far as what I could do. And so, you know, I started to think about, do I want to go back into risk management, be the risk manager, risk manager of a large company. And I, I, I you know, it's kind of been there and done that for me. Um, I could have gone to a startup uh, sports entertainment insurance company trying to uh, really address the hole with pandemic insurance and what's going on there. But, you know, for me, it was, it was a lot of things that kind of, I wanted, I knew I wanted to go on the broker side. I, I had been on the client side and been a risk manager. Like I said, I'd kind of been there and done that. Um, being on the carrier side and helping with a startup or even working at a mature carrier would be interesting, but it's kind of foreign to some of the things I've done. You know, I, I worked with insurance companies, but never at one. And, you know, I'm sure I could, could train and learn to be quite a good underwriter and maybe already would be for certain lines of coverage. But, you know, I'm not sure that that's the kind of stuff that would appeal to me. I'm not necessarily trained to be out there in the field as an engineer and those kind of things. So, you know, for me, going to, to work for a broker really made a lot of sense because you, you get to work with the insurance carriers and see what they're up to. And you get to work with clients and help them out. And at the same time, you get the kind of the diversity of who you get to work with. Um, across your book of business. So I knew I was going to go to, um, you know, a broker agent um, somewhere. And, and so you're right. It really, for me, it, it came down to actually it was Aon and Henriot Group. I have the utmost respect for Aon. They've been a great partner for me throughout my career. And, you know, we don't necessarily compete in the same space as they do. So, you know, we're still, we're still all good buddies and pals, but, um, you know, for me, where I am in my career, um, you know, Aon's a really large company. I didn't want, I didn't, you know, my kids are still fairly young. I don't want to be on a plane all, all the time and the kind of expertise and things that I'm good at, you know, they were going to have me out there with some of their largest clients, really probably doing some really exciting things, but I didn't necessarily want to be on a plane, um, you know, all the time going out to London or, to, you know, out to Silicon Valley and working with Tesla or whoever it is that they work with. Um, you know, at the same time, the people they are fantastic. I love them, but you know, a large company has, you know, kind of the formal performance reviews and budgets and some of the bureaucracy and things. I mean, you probably know from my time at Butler, I can polish up well when I need to and look hopefully pretty, pretty polished today. Um, but I like to be in an environment where things can be a little bit more low key. Um, and I'll tell you what really kind of led me to be at the retail agency is, um, this is the part of economy I want to help. You know, we're working with a company right now, a young lady who, um, you know, started making candles as a hobby and now is a $15 million company. And, you know, she needs help becoming, you know, going from a small business to maybe a middle market business. And we have another middle market client who's maybe now a risk management size account and has to buy their insurance differently with, you know, more advanced risk management tools than they've maybe used in the past. And, um, you know, with, with all respect to Aon's clients, I don't really like making rich people richer. I like making regular people rich. Or, or protecting, you know, the small business owner and what they have. You know, the, what I saw in the pandemic was, you know, if you were a large company and had a risk manager, or if you were in the excess surplus lines market, you knew about pandemic insurance, you had your fair chance to protect your risk going into COVID. 
most of the middle market was left hanging. I mean, I got my insurance license in this job. They mentioned the word pandemic in the licensing exam and course exactly no times. No such, you know, hey, there's an exclusion, talk to your insurance. I mean, think about it. Carriers introduced these endorsements that wrecked a lot of the economy, causing a lot of the stimulus, which may lead to a lot of inflation and other knock-on causes. And it's all because, you know, frankly, there wasn't a good insurance product for this kind of business interruption. And, and the exclusions we had weren't really well explained. And, and, you know, when they're not even in the license exam. So for me, it's, you know, I want to help the part of the economy that maybe hasn't had access to people like me in the past. Um, versus going out there and helping Elon Musk make his second trillion dollars or whatever it is. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting, just kind of perspective, and I think that just speaks volumes to uh, like what what you want to do with your your time here. And you know, you're definitely doing it already, hitting the ground running. But it's kind of funny to me, like just kind of sounds like like the RBE businesses of like helping them scale and just a real business experience at, at Butler, just kind of at that class. That's kind of interesting, like that perspective of like growing them, um, and it just seems like real world, like kind of like that you would be surprised how much of rbe that we that i taught that is used as we advise our clients and and how much of things that we did in the classroom at butler i mean you know we're doing insurance program diagrams you know for all of our clients well we've now introduced that to our prospects because they need to see their insurance program graphically diagrammed out and 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 we've added some new tools as far as how we you know arm our business advisors to have that conversation and you know, consult and do things beyond insurance. And it's been really successful. I mean, that's the other thing that led me to a small agency, you know, for all the wonderful ideas and really cool things I might cook up and try and do in an Aon or a Marsh, there's probably a hundred or a thousand other people like, just like me with, you know, just as many great ideas. And, and the people we have here at Henry are absolutely fantastic as well. Don't get me wrong, but, but there's more things that I can do that can impact our, our agency immediately here than what would happen at Aon. You know, my best ideas at Aon might move the needle, you know, microscopically. My best ideas here have already moved the needle quite significantly. And again, it's, you know, we have great people here. So I've seen other people's um, ideas move the needle for our business quite significantly. We've already hired, we've hired two actually Davy grads to our uh, agency. So we're already seeing uh, them hit the ground running. And, and so again, it's a kind of environment where, you know, we hired Chad Berdo as our bene as our uh, uh, benefit strategy uh, person, and he's already revolutionized that entire side of the business. And, and you know, I don't know that one hire could have that same impact at a really large national firm uh, versus our ability to come in here and, and really impact this firm and, and and hopefully enrich all the people that work here and their families and everything that goes with it. Yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting just being able to see like seeing the, the quicker impact at a smaller company and then just like I think that's just kind of more fulfilling in a way because you can see like in that day-to-day -day, like it's it's not such a long-term process because you can move quicker and implement it uh, quicker there's definitely a, yeah and there's you know there's a life cycle to your career I mean one of the things that's great for me is I don't have any ego anymore you know I was the fortune 500 risk manager I got to be the the guy at Butler and so now I'm really happy to be in the background frankly and just help everybody else look smart and and get the job done and um yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just it's just it's just really impactful in a, in a small agency, the ability, the ability to be able to, to do things and hit the ground running. It's just a lot more fun for me. And, and, and um, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it for sure. Yeah. So so just kind of with what you said of that Fortune 500 risk manager experience now, because you were like kind of a sophisticated buyer, you would call it. And then now you're helping, you know, those buyers, maybe other risk managers. How do you think that's kind of like 
uh, credibility or just kind of like adds failure in perspective of like, hey, I was, you know, in, in your seat once and just helping that person, like that perspective, helping you be a, a better advisor. I think that really does help because I, I, I never took off my hat as a risk manager. I always still feel like a risk manager. And frankly, when I take a prospects insurance program and I dissect it for the first time, one of the first things I'm looking at is what are the insurance coverages that they have that they don't need? Because a lot of people, you know, a lot of people don't understand the risk well enough to give them permission to retain, give themselves permission to retain it and to forego, you know, paying insurance premiums. Again, some things you have to have insurance wise, some things is a really good idea to have. But, you know, for example, if you've got a pretty decent sized fleet of autos and you haven't really had a lot of claims, why are you buying physical damage coverage? Um, you know, if you're having workers comp losses that are, you know, again, if you've had two or three losses around $50,000, those are predictable. Anything you've seen two or three times is a predictable loss. You don't insure predictable things. So, you know, th that discussion then becomes about, okay, let's, let's talk about what it means to go from not having a deductible on workers comp to having a deductible and, and why that will help save you premium and what we want to do from a safety perspective to make sure that that's a good bet. Um, that we want to make. And, and by the way, here's what happens if we do have a loss, because sometimes that, you know, you raise your deductible and you end up having a loss, but, but you're right. You know, for me as a former buyer, I, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching it from their perspective. It's not about selling them insurance. It's about making sure they have the best risk manager program, which like I said, in a lot of ways is, is telling them things they maybe don't need to buy or retentions they can raise. Um, it, it, a lot of it's bringing in, you know, safety or different resources. So we have one account who's, you know, the property insurance market has changed dramatically for them. And, and so part of what we want to do is bring in an engineering firm to figure out, okay, what's your actual risk here? Is it as good as you think it is? Or is it as bad as the industry thinks it is? Is it somewhere in the middle? And what can we do to make it better? Um, because the reality is, is if the insurance doesn't know what their risk is, they'll just charge them the worst case scenario. And so even if we go out there and find, you know, a couple, you know, a couple things that need to be improved, it's still going to be better than what, you know, our carriers are imagining it is. And, and, and it's getting our clients to understand that, you know, hey, you've never, maybe never done that before. You've never thought about hiring an engineer beyond just the ones the carrier send out. Let's talk about why that's important and what that can do for you. Yeah. So I think that's something a lot of people would miss kind of in the, the agency uh, retailer role of, of that consulting element of like just kind of like how, how a position would work is, is like, oh, let's sell insurance. And I'm like, okay, you get commission on, on the sales of insurance. But like you're saying, sometimes it's in the client's best interest not to sell them insurance and find some other way to reduce that frequency or severity. And then kind of with that, it's just like that being very like practical of like knowing how the industry works and then like present using that knowledge to like present your risk as like the best possible risk to, to the carriers. Like you're saying, they're going to assume the worst because that's, that's the risk pool that they're creating for, for the rates that they use and just the premium they collect. So like, do you have any examples of that that you kind of like to share of, of how you kind of approach that? I mean, as far as, um, you know, how we maybe convince the client to think about it. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, it's, it's part of it is, 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 is good, good, good communication with the carriers and the folks that you're working with. So for the client that we're talking about, and again, we don't want to share too many details, we want to protect their anonymity, but um, you know, that the, there's really no admitted, options in the admitted market for them you know they're in a very heavy kind of not not dangerous but you know a riskier class of business and one that frankly if you've not been out there to see it and understand exactly what they do um you know you might paint them into an and you know with a lens that, that you know with a paintbrush that really doesn't apply to them 
right? And so um, um, it, it's just it's just sitting down with them and having that conversation and saying, look, you know, we're gonna, you know, this is what engineering costs. In this instance, we're actually paying for it for the client. They've been a very long term client of ours. We've you know, we've, we've made some money from them over the years, you know, fairly, but at the same time, um, we've, we've had a lot of soft market years where we haven't had to do as much for them. And so in order to show them value, when I say, hey, we want to introduce you to infrared thermographic imaging and, you know, what it means if your equipment's running hot and identifying that with infrared before there's a fire or an explosion. And, you know, wouldn't that be great? You spend all this money on maintenance, you know, imagine if we could catch things before there, there's even a fire. And then the fact that you've done that, and you can share those reports with your insurance company, should have a better renewal rate for you. And then we, we reach out to our wholesale partners. Um, actually, I'll give shout out to Jace Tennant, a great Butler grad who's with uh, uh, Peachtree Brokers. And uh, Peachtree is a new wholesale relationship for us at Henriot, uh, based on Jace and I knowing each other through, um, through Butler. He wasn't a Davies student, but he was kind of around that era. And, and obviously was, was familiar with me and what, what I've been doing. And, and so um, uh, we reached out to Jason. Jason, again, was able to get us coverage in the market where other wholesalers weren't. And we asked him, he said, hey, if we got engineering on this, even if it wasn't the best report you ever saw, what would it do for us? And he's like, hey, that would be great because they're putting it blind right now. They're putting in worst case scenario you know, rates. Um, yeah, that'd be a positive. And so then we can go to the client and say, look, you know, I've had personal experience with this. When I worked at Smucker, we put engineering on the Folgers plant in New Orleans, everybody kept telling us what the risk, what they thought the risk was. And I was like, you know what, let's just get some engineers and we'll just settle this once and for all. And, and it worked. I mean, we had a much better renewal result after we did that. And so, you know, my experiences are great, but being able to go to our insurance partners that help with, you know, place their coverage and say, hey, is this going to be positive or how do you think this is going to work? Um, um, it, it helps. And then it's just about selling the client. You know, the client, we want to make sure the client understands um, this is a property report, right? You don't have to do these things. You know, I go to my doctor, he might say I have high cholesterol, I can still go out and eat ribs. It's not like I have to do what the wellness report says. Now, you know, thankfully my cholesterol is not bad, but you know, when I get my wellness exam, I, I digest it and then I, I implement what I want to implement. I don't implement what I don't want to implement, but, and I kind of know what my risks are of the decisions I've made. And that's basically what we're telling them is, you know, it's your business. If you want it to burn down, that's for you. Um, but, but not knowing doesn't change the fact that the risk is still there. It just means, you know, what if it was a really low hanging fruit that could solve something major from happening when you want to know that. Um, and, and even still, it takes time. I mean, that's one of the challenges that you can have with working with businesses that are owned by, you know, one or two decision makers, you know, if they don't want to do something, they don't want to do it. It's not like a publicly traded company where there's a little bit more debate and, you know, and how decisions are made. Yeah, I honestly, I really miss miss the, the Finn stories uh, just with your, your classes. Like, and that's what I think is, is really cool of like that practical experience you had before coming to to academia of just being able to like share share the stories of like real world examples and just give that insight into like what the the job looks like like in the insurance industry and just kind of like a very rough overview of like what like that lifestyle kind of is like how like I mean we the talent crisis or all like the jobs we filled or recession proof industry and just kind of like I think those stories were like made students kind of pause and like think about maybe imagine themselves kind of in the insurance industry versus and for a lot of people like that that was a completely new thought like at the time so can you kind of talk about like how that that practical experience kind of impacted uh how you and others kind of like looked at forming like the Davy program and, and that base curriculum 
maybe how it changed a little bit like over your your like 10 year period kind of kind of there with the program yeah i mean um the stories do help i mean the insurance industry likes to you know whine and complain about their talent crisis but it really it really is their own their own damn fault and and i've been hard on them about this and i'll still be hard on them about it because it's it's such an unnecessary problem but you know your the entire face of your industry is some clown with an emu and a, and a ridiculous song, you know, I mean, yes, the Liberty, Liberty, Liberty thing is catchy as all get out, but it's annoying and it doesn't teach anybody anything about insurance, nothing. What, what the product is, why you're buying it, what the job entails, it, nothing. It's just a, you know, a schmaltzy gimmicky thing. And the same thing with flow and progressive. I mean, and putting on plays and acting out music concerts, and all this nonsense. And they never explained anything about insurance. Meanwhile, you, um, you know, when you look at a, a commercial for a financial product or a stock, there's the person at the end and yeah, they're talking a million miles a minute, but they still say things like, you know, investments may include risk of loss, please consult, blah, 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 blah. You know, well, I, I honestly think that it, it would behoove Progressive and Liberty and some of these other companies, you know, imagine before the pandemic, if they had spent a few seconds going, your policy may exclude exclusions, you know, may pandemics aren't covered, whatever, um, consult your agent for what's covered. I mean, just even a second on it. We, we, there's no education that goes into the advertising about what the product is, why it's important, or what the jobs entail. And so it's no wonder that you know consumers don't want to buy the product and people don't want to work in the industry. And it's, and it's really the personal lines industry's fault because they're the ones that are directly advertising. And again, you know, nobody knows anything about insurance. You, you almost can't blame them for using the gimmicks and the animals and all that stuff. But but all their problems come back to one thing, education. If you had better educated consumers, you wouldn't need an EMU, right? If, if every business school in America included uh, an insurance class, which, you know, again, Butler requires three economics classes and no insurance classes. Um, that's kind of, that's nuts to me, you know? So you need three servings of economics, but no servings of insurance. And, you know, workers comp required by law, your mortgage company wants property insurance, your directors and officers want DNO, the state of Indiana wants auto. So tell me exactly why Butler University doesn't have intro to risk management insurance as a required course, you know, as a Professor, it was a little hard for me to kind of complain about that, but now I'm not, so I can say that's nonsense. That should be the case. And and if every CFO that came out of Butler had that core insurance class, how much more effective would they be? How much more prepared for the pandemic would they be? How much more um, apt would they be to, to buy insurance products that they now understand what they are? Um, you know, I think financial planning should be taught in every high school in America. You know, kids should understand what credit is and budgeting and savings accounts and what insurance is. And so when people are educated, then they, you know, then they can buy and interact with these products more favorably. And then they can come into the industry with a better idea of what it is they're actually going to do and why it's important. And so since none of that's there, um, I mean, largely, I'd shared my own experiences. You know, once upon a time, I was an insurance student who was, you know, kind of lured into the industry with some of the same tales and hey, there's a commercial side of the industry. Did you know that? You know, SpaceX, what's that look like from an insurance perspective? What does Tesla and autonomous vehicles and all these interesting things that, you know, have so many insurance and risk management implications that your average layperson, you know, growing up, I didn't even know there was a commercial insurance industry. I thought, you know, individuals bought insurance and companies just had money. I didn't, it never even occurred to me that they would need insurance, honestly. Um, until I was in an insurance degree. And then when I realized that, and I was like, oh, wow, that's what that involves. That's really interesting. Um, then that's what sold it for me. 
And so, you know, there's no, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I basically took what Dr. Marianne Boost told me at Indiana State University and updated it a little bit. And that's why I told you guys at Butler. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's my, you know, a great point, just kind of the advertising of the, the personal lines companies and advertising on what commercials on TV, hmm. on new, on articles I hate it. online. But like, well, that's the other thing is, okay, like wholesale brokers, higher level uh, commercial side uh, retailer agents, why aren't they advertising? And because that's not their customer, but then if they're, why don't they advertise other things? Why don't they advertise open positions? Why don't they advertise like what the job is? Like money. I mean, they've made a lot of money not having to do any of that stuff in the past. So they've probably not seen the need for it. You know, I mean, think about it. There's 500 fortune 500 risk managers i mean think about how much premium is i spent you know 10 million dollars a year on insurance premiums just when i was a risk manager you know buying billion dollar towers and all these different things i mean that's 10 million dollars of concentrated buying power um just within my department when i was a, a risk manager i mean 10 million dollars worth of premiums hell our agency you know that's like half the premiums our agency does for all of our clients and so that all that buying power almost the end you know like half the, you know, half or a quarter of the premiums that a Henry out would do are being done in just one Fortune 500 risk management department. So there's like 500 people that represent a huge swath of the commercial market. So you're not going to put up national advertising for 330 million Americans when you're really just trying to reach 500 people, a thousand people that are in the Fortune 1000. And so I think that's a big part of it. I think it's much more targeted advertising and, you know, the business press. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do with search engine optimization now where you can target specific people or positions or things. Um, you know, I think it's almost like, you know, like the, the pork industry, you know, it's what the other white meat, it's what's for dinner, you know, got milk campaign. I mean, I think that's what the industry needs to do is all the carriers need to contribute just a little bit of money to a non-for-profit advertising. I mean, hell, we offered to do this at Butler. I mean, I thought it'd be hilarious, get all the mascots, from all the insurance companies and have them show up at Butler to get a real insurance education and 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 kind of advertise that. So I think those are the kind of things the industry needs to do. They need to just take a targeted approach and 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 maybe everybody kick in just a little bit of money from their advertising and really get out there. Hey, here's the positions. Here's how we've, you know, I mean, insurance is a great industry. People's lives get ruined. We put their lives back together again. So I mean, and that's one of the reasons why I get mad and I give them crap for having such crappy advertising. As long as I don't like the insurance companies, I love them. This to freaking put people's lives back together. And then instead of getting on TV and saying, here's somebody after a hurricane whose, you know, life is going to be great now, you know, here's an emu. Like, this doesn't make any sense. It's like such a wasted opportunity. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the thing is they're, they're, yeah, wasted opportunity. They're, they're missing that, that way to connect to, to the public of, of what the insurance industry does. Cause like your reactions, you would see like people like, Oh, they didn't pay this claim. So like they're evil or like they're, the insurance people are out to get me. They're taking your premium and they're, they're not paying claims, but like with that better educated uh, consumer, then like maybe that consumer is not going to move policies every year just to save a little bit. Maybe they're going to uh, like value more of a partnership with the carrier and they're going to want to look like long-term and then maybe like their retention is going to go up and then they're going to have a better understanding of how to reduce risk and see risk as, as more than just uh, a piece of paper that you're going to pay for and never look at again. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, I think, you know, like, like maybe instead of putting your company's name on a race car, you put it on a business school. Um, you know, I mean, it's just like, it's funny because when you're a risk manager, you know, you have insurance companies that come and tell you to, well, you better watch out for your supply chain. That's where your risk is. Your supply chain's bad. Well, why do you think you have a talent crisis? Your supply chain's bad. You know, you have 80 some degree programs for insurance instead of 2000 for accounting. You've got, you know, commercials that are schmaltzy instead of maybe more educational, like, like some of the finance folks and, and, you know, it's going to be getting better. Definitely for sure. There's more outreach. There's more things through um, different professional organizations, but, but it definitely could be a lot better. That's for sure. Yeah. And that's something that I kind of think too is, is like, okay, the companies that are advertising are personal lines because that's where their customers are. But then I wonder like the, the average consumer, uh, some just in the public, like, I, I wonder why it's such a stretch to like, see like, oh, I'm a person, I buy insurance, this company on the corner, the skyscraper downtown, they're way bigger than me. They have more risks. Like they own cars, they own trucks. Of course they have insurance. But like, sometimes I kind of think that like, that's maybe a stress for some people to make or like they can't picture it at like a larger scale or like, I, I just, I don't know. I think, I think that's it. Or like I said, you know, I mean, my, you know, my young mind, I thought it's like Coca-Cola. They got that Coca-Cola money to just pay for it out of there. But um, no, I mean, so that's what, you know, that's what kind of informed, you know, you asked me, so how did all that inform uh, the debut program? I mean, when we first started out, we, we tried to set up a program that was, um, that would cover all the bases. I mean, in order to get out of an insurance program, you really need to understand what personal versus commercial insurance is versus uh, employee benefits versus property and casualty, um, um, you know, life and health. When I say employee benefits, uh, property, casualty, risk management, you know, what do those different things mean? What does it mean to be a personal agent versus commercial agent? The people in our office that do personal lines, you know, they're, they're awesome, but they have a different job than our commercial lines folks. Um, and what does that mean? And then our folks that do benefits at Henriot have a different job and do different things than our PNC folks. And so what does that mean? And so by understanding that, I, you know, I, I can figure out, okay, would I want to work on this side of the agency or that side of the agency? You know, again, do I want to work with one of our clients or do I want to work with one of our carriers or do I want to work, you know, where I am in kind of the middle of the distribution? And, and that's what a good program should do. And that's one of the things that's hard because, you know, you could specialize, I, mean, I could teach an entire four-year degree on business interruption and business continuity and, you know, supply chain management, all those kind of things. But, you know, you trade breadth and depth is always a balance, right? How much breadth do you need and how much depth are you looking for? I, I think that as an undergraduate student, it's important to get a good breadth in your education and start to develop some depth. I think the first 10 years of your career should be about developing depth specifically and specializing. And then I think it's about kind of broadening out from there. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense of just kind of the students getting exposure to what the insurance industry is, the different group tests are out there, what lines of business they can go into. And then that would kind of narrow down their focus a little bit. Cause that's something that was really shocking to me is even before I was taking uh, classes, just like Gamma Sigma speakers and just some career fairs and just kind of like, like, wow, what do I want to do in the insurance industry? Like there, there just seemed like almost too many options that so was a little overwhelming. And then with the coursework with internships, narrowing it down, and then I guess like my kind of question is at what point would like the, the insurance education, like they're the risk management major. So then they know they want to go into the insurance industry, or at least hopefully they're committed to that. But then like, at what point would the, the educational part be more of like a training for like a specialist role or making it 
more and more specialized because like if people are retiring who've been doing this for 10 15 years and they have very neat niche like experience of like oh cyber like some really like high access dno product like why aren't schools or or like how would schools kind of train a student to kind of go into like that role instead of going to like a like a like a bop like small business like underwriter uh in and because there's so many people that are coming into the industry without a risk management major like finance and accounting majors uh wouldn't they be more of a candidate to fill kind of those intro roles and then people who are more committed or know that know that their intent is going to industry would fill the the more specialized roles or you yeah well i mean that's that's sort of what's happening just indirectly right now i mean the insurance industry you know they they have hundreds of thousands of open jobs and they have thousands of graduates so there's a huge you know that they could hire the insurance hires every single insurance service manager graduate actuarial science graduate that exists and they still only have five percent five percent of their talent need fill and so then it becomes a matter of okay well we need to get some business cracks well finance kids may want to go to wall street so good luck with that you know, marketing students may want to go to Madison Avenue or wherever advertising in these days, right? So good luck with that. You know, IT, MIS students may want to go to Silicon Valley. So you may not always end up with your business grads. And so there is a long and storied history of um, liberal arts majors going in the insurance industry. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, those kind of soft skills and language arts skills and, and, and psychology and dealing with people. I mean, you know, any four-year degree is going to be a great degree and it's going to give you a good education to be out there and be successful. But um, the insurance industry has, has, has had to cast a wider net over the years to get the talent that they need. And that's become harder to do. They've had to focus more. So, yeah, I think it is one of those things where, you know, if you if you are a liberal arts major and, and you know, you're looking for, you know, I, I once had a student wait on me at Olive Garden with a conflict and peace studies major. And I started thinking to myself, like, geez, unless your dad's a senator or something, you know, I mean, maybe you can apply into the State Department or something like that. But that just seems like one of those jobs that could be really, you know, hard to get. Or I met another student who, who um, had an economics major. I started thinking to myself, when I worked at Corporate America, the company I worked for, we had, you know, 400 accountants. We had 135 finance people. We had three risk manager people. We had one economist. And so do you really want a degree where every company in America has one of those people? I mean, again, if you're an accounting person, there's hundreds of those people in a lot of companies. And so it's a lot of it is, is what's your return on education going to be? And, and so if you're, you know, if you're someone who's gotten a, an economics degree, just because you heard about it and you think being an economist is cool. And then you graduate and you realize, Oh my gosh, like there's no jobs for an entry level bachelor's in, 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 in economy. And, you know, if they're going to hire someone like that, they're going to have a master's or a PhD or be from Harvard or have a, mommy or daddy who's connected. I mean, it's just, you know, so where do I go, where do I go in the industry? And so the insurance industry is a great home for folks that have kind of, you know, one offer unique or different degrees that maybe they're not able to do what they wanted to do with it or didn't understand what they could do with it. And I, I, I'm sure those students don't, don't end up getting, you know, the fast track jobs right out of the gate. But, but the funny thing is, is once you've graduated, it's really more about who you are on the job and you know, some of the best insurance and risk management minds I know are philosophy majors or played the bassoon or something ridiculous. And, you know, like the CEO of Hiscox is, you know, making more money than I've ever seen. It's going on trips across Africa and he's got a geography degree. I'm thinking to myself, geez, and he knows his stuff. I mean, he's as good as anybody I've ever met. And so, 
you know, I, I think that people put maybe too much stress on that, but I think it is probably true that if you have like a generalist degree, you maybe start one of the more generalist jobs. If you have a business degree, then there's probably more opportunity to fast track. I think for the insurance industry, you know, when you can only get 5,000 insurance degrees for 500,000 jobs, I don't think you can afford to be so greedy as to say, well, they don't have a specific cyber class or a specific, you know, business interruption class. I mean, the reality is, 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 is we can't, we can't train enough students to fill all the job needs doing it that specialized. We need to kind of train a lot of fairly specialized generalists and put out a lot of them and get them into roles. And, and one of the great things about the insurance is we have the designation. So mm -hmm. to go on and get a cyber designation or a claims designation or a risk management designation, that's really easy to do. And so I think it's, it's less of an issue. I mean, I hear, for example, that, you know, surety underwriters are some of the oldest folks in the industry that no one really wants to go in to be a surety underwriter and that any young student who did would have their kind of pick of the litter for careers and have a really fast track and wonderful opportunity to the point that, you know, I thought about it, Butler, geez, maybe we should have a class on surety bonds and surety, but we weren't large enough. You know, if you look at like a Temple University, it's got a thousand students, they probably do have some of those really specialized classes. And that's one of the great things about you know, if the insurance industry did invest in education, if they stopped sponsoring race cars and baseball teams and sponsor schools of business, you would have more entry level risk students, you know, with business degrees, you would have more risk management majors and you would have more large programs that could offer specialized courses. And so it kind of, you know, the answer to everything is really same thing they would tell me when I was a risk manager, invest in your supply chain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what would you say that would kind of look like of, of more industry involvement? I mean, like, like at Baller, like, this, this last semester, like I've been inviting speakers to, to campus, to set up like information booths, just being able to like talk to people. Cause that's something that I found uh, kind of hard, like coming in freshman year, even as a risk management major is like, like what does the job look like? What will I be doing? And I think like rubbing elbows with someone like unexpectedly in, in the lobby of the business school, like that's someone you can just bounce ideas off of, ask questions, kind of learn about internships and just kind of learn about what the day-to-day -day actually is. But like beyond that, I mean, specializing to like fill certain roles on, on recruitment, but like as the industry evolves and changes over time, then like what would more involvement look like of communicating that or even helping set up more uh, risk management insurance programs? Well, I mean, honestly, I feel like what we did and what Butler is doing is kind of the gold standard of what can be done. I mean, you have a really large and successful career fair within great engaged employers. I think there's a couple of them that happen. There's Gamma Out of Sigma with, you know, speakers happening all the time. There's um, um, class, folks coming in to visit the classroom. There's judging, you know, risk management uh, projects in, in the intro class. There's coming in and being an RB mentor and getting exposed to you know, maybe you're an insurance person and you're in the RB program and you're advising on business, but also risk management. Um, you know, there's a student run insurance company and, you know, working with actual firms and in industry. So, I mean, I, you know, Butler to me is, is kind of led the charge as far as like what, what all you possibly could do. I mean, you know, there's formalized mentorship programs and, you know, other things that are, are out there. And I'm sure there's other things that other schools are doing, but, you know, it's just, it's just more people doing it. I mean, you'd be surprised how many people in the insurance industry because they fell into it. They don't necessarily know that these degree programs exist. They maybe don't have one near their city or they're really running anybody with that background. So it doesn't even occur to them that, you know, someone would want to hear about me or my job. A lot of people don't think their job's as interesting as it actually is. And it's like, no, you have a really cool job. You just don't think you do. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that's I guess, part of, part of this video series is about then just a, a day in the life and just kind of like highlighting, maybe showcasing what's out there, uh, what you actually do, and then just kind of like seeing the potential of, of jobs with that. So uh, kind of back to re-entering the insurance industry after, you know, 10 years in, in academia, what was kind of that, that, that learning curve or how did you kind of stay connected to, you know, ins insurance companies or what was going on in the insurance market as a whole when you were removed uh, from it, like teaching? Well, I'm one of those that I can exist in a multitude of spaces and I like to stay busy. So I was never completely disconnected. I, I did consulting for eight years with one of the top brokers in the state, one of the largest independent agencies and, and help them with a lot of their clients and prospects. And, 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 and so I had some, you know, I would at least touch a company in a risk management project, at least, you know, one to four times a year, every year for the first eight years that I was at Butler, I, I supported several Lloyds of London syndicates through product recall crisis consulting and response. In fact, actually Henry, I was looking at picking that back up again for Lloyds and doing that through another division that we would set up. Um, so I had some industry experience all along the way. I think one of the things that frankly led me back in industry is how much I did have, because I would go around and visit with every broker in the world, every carrier in the world, every insure tech in the world and hear what everybody's doing. And you just be like, wow, that's a really great idea. Why isn't everybody else doing that? That's a really great idea. Why isn't everybody else doing that? And I ended up with like a list of like 150 really great ideas that maybe one or two people were doing and the rest of the world didn't even know existed. And it's like, I have access to all those ideas. Like they shared them, they shared them in the classroom. Why don't I go into an agency like Henriette that has great bones, it's been around for 50 years, that people are awesome. There's already a huge um, um, impetus and investment in technology that they've done here. So it's a really great place that would be open to, you know, they're already doing things that are ahead and creative and, and, and open to even more new and creative ideas. So, so part of it was, you know, for me, I came in really advanced on half of my, you know, half of my skill set and maybe underdeveloped on the other half. So I came in with a lot of really cutting edge ideas from everywhere in the world, but at the same time, like, oh, I haven't seen an agency management system in 20 years. Um, oh, I've never actually been on a negotiation with a wholesaler directly or, you know, um, I forgot what it means to sit down with a client when you tell them to make a decision very logically, but they're thinking about it emotionally from their own pocketbook. Um, so, you know, there were, but that was why, that's one of the reasons why I did it. I mean, if I would have stayed at Butler another 10 years, I would have been outdated. There's already, there's already things that we've done, technology and partnerships that we've implemented that are game changers that I didn't even know existed. And, and that our competitors largely don't know exist. And, um, you know, I wouldn't have known it if I would have stayed in my previous role. You know, if I were to go back to teaching later on, I would have a fresh new set of skills, a fresh new set of stories. Um, you know, for me, I think that ship sailed, but, but it's still nice to be out learning instead of uh, teaching. Yeah, no, I think that that's cool and just speaks volume of like the industry as a whole of, of how much it's changing now with some ins insured tech involvement and just kind of carriers and, and retailers alike just improving processes and just uh, updating their legacy systems. And I, I think that's just really interesting and really, really exciting to see, especially just entering the industry here soon. Yeah, it's been fun. I've enjoyed, I like, I like the learning curve. You know, I'm not going to lie. There's maybe the first month or two where I was like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing or what's my role going to be. But I, I actually, I got busy quicker than I thought and have already been able to make a decent impact. So it's been good. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for coming on. Is, is there anything else on, on your mind you'd, you'd like to share before we wrap up? 
Oh, I don't know. I'm looking through your list here. I think we hit a lot of the really interesting things. I mean, I would just, I don't know. I'd just say hi to all my former students and for all the new ones that are thinking about a career in the industry. I mean, it's still really exciting. I, you know, for me who, you know, as you said, was kind of away for 10 years. Um, I'm having a lot of fun. You know, I had a lot of fun at Butler, but um, I, I guess I didn't realize how much I was doing the same thing year after year. And I'd spent so much time hunkered in on campus, getting ready for class and then in class and then just kind of at home. And now I'm out in the industry. I'm, you know, one day I'm in a scrap yard, the next day an auto manufacturer, the next day a candle manufacturer, next day lunch with a carrier. And so it's been, uh, it's been fun. It's, you know, so anybody's thinking about a career in the industry, again, for someone who's having a third one now, I guess still highly recommend it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that speaks volumes of, of like the, the change of pace, the change of schedule, and just like the variety of, of the day-to-day that most people would have in, in the insurance industry.